0: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. Today's guests are Lida, Thomas and Jean Marie McNamara. They are a mother-daughter who both have served in the armed forces, and they wrote a book called Lita and Jean, Memoirs of Two Generations of Military Women. We dive into their story. Lita, She joined back whenever women had first been integrated into the military. Jean followed her mother's footsteps and also enlisted. Uh, This book is equal parts biography, autobiography, memoir, and a love story. And as you, I think, will learn through this episode, it's very much about family and the strength that both of these women have is truly inspirational and incredible to listen to, Um, especially when we get into uh, the injury that Jean sustained uh, while in service and the uh, very extensive and long recovery that she has um, undertaken. Um, It it really blew me away, uh, the strength of these two women, and, and really inspired me the love that they share So I hope that you enjoy this episode. Please check out their book. We'll put the link to their book here in the description. Um, And I would love to hear from you uh, about your thoughts on, on the relationship they share, as well as the relationship that they had with the military. Please remember to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. Uh, Thank you for watching. And uh, if you are new to the Scuttlebutt, you can check out all of our previous episodes across podcast platforms, as well as watch them here on YouTube. And one other note for this episode is that you will see Lita on screen if you're watching on YouTube, but Jean, you will not. She recently had uh, some mouth surgery and had a bit of swelling, didn't want to appear on screen, but you will be able to hear her in the background. Um, I don't think that takes away from her story in the least. Uh, as you will find. Um, So thank you for coming to The Scuttlebutt and enjoy the show. Lita and Jean. it's so wonderful to have you both here for the podcast. Uh, Lita, I'd love for you to to start us off and introduce yourself. Welcome to The Scuttlebutt.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, My name is Lita Thomas, and my previous names were McNamara. My maiden name was Scarrow. And I spent 23 years total in the armed services. Six of those were in the Air Force Reserves. The bulk of my career uh, in the military was in the Illinois Army National Guard. Um, I bounced around quite a bit, looking for security, looking for rank, (laughs) and uh, as a single mother, uh, I was just constantly looking for a a way to to support my girls.
2: And I'm Jean Marie McNamara, and I'm Lita's daughter, her Eldest. eldest daughter. Um the younger one is more of a, a farm gal. Um so she is uh, has served our country by growing lots of zucchini. Um I <laughs> and served chickens. and chickens. Um I served in the Illinois Army National Guard and I was I enlisted and then um after my contract was up I went ahead and re-upped and then I st- went to OCS and became an officer like my parents.
0: Excellent. Um there is obviously we're here to talk about uh, your book, um, mm-hmm. which is it, it seems at equal parts biography, autobiography, memoir, love letter, um, and I and I want to get to all of that. I feel like we will as as we go through this conversation. Uh, but, Lita, I want to start with you because the be, the beginnings of your your enlistment are are, are so interesting in the sense of, <laughs> yeah,
1: oh yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, you know, enlisting at the time that you did. Uh, right after you know, women were integrated into the military. Uh, I'm sure there's a million stories we could get to with that specifically. But but you also did you have two kids when I you had enlisted?
1: Two, kids. I two did.
0: kids. What what was going through your mind when you, you had two kids and you're enlisting in the military? That that seems to me like that what could be harder?
2: <laughs> right, right. And and this was back in the in the day before regulations changed. There was a recent uh, change to regulations that is out there to support single Single parents. parents, At that time, um, there was no support.
1: No, it was the opposite. Um, When I, just before I enlisted, uh, I was working three different jobs trying to raise my two girls on my own. I was not quite divorced. I was separated in the process of a divorce. And as I was going from one job to the other, to one of the other ones, I passed a recruiter's desk, and he gave all these great spiels, and I'm like, hmm, that looks interesting, so I made an appointment, and I went downtown, and I, I met with him the next day, and I signed up, <laughs> it was it was like he got me, uh, when he said free college, I was thinking, you know, how am I going to ever make anything of myself without a college degree, um, I'm not going to be able to afford college, and how am I going to keep? maintaining a roof over our heads so it just looked like a win-win for me
0: did you know anything about the military before you joined
1: nothing (laughs) as a matter of fact i knew that my dad was in the army uh he was in the korea my uh my stepfather Mm -hmm. but i call him my dad because he raised me and in in my heart he is my dad Mm -hmm. and i knew that he was in the army but he never talked about it really much uh, so it's not something that you know, was talked about at the, dinner, t- at the t- dinner table or anything, but I knew that he, w- that he had gone in the Army. So when I came home the next day and I told him that I had enlisted in the Air Force, he's like, hmm, <laughs> I'm a, little bit a, I'm a little bit of a snub. <laughs> and I said, well, they had this great pro, he said, okay, okay, sounds good. Um, but like you said, uh, the book goes into the details how I started out Air Force and then it it changed Quite very way. quickly, yeah. very quickly. And
2: you'll have
1: to you'll have to read the book to learn about that. I ended up Army, uh, active duty Army, and then as my career went on, I went back Air Force for a little bit. I I mm. did I did miss the Air Force. I'm sure. <laughs> did you at
0: at any point whenever you enlisted? you had your two girls. Did you think that this would, uh, in a way affect them? It, it, like that your decision to enlist, like how would you be able to to do both and how would you bring them up through, uh, being in the military? It's, it's very different because once you enlist, your family is also enlisting in a way.
1: Right. And I really, I was not thinking about that at all. I was thinking about the, the monetary benefits of joining mm-hmm. the service. And because I had a, uh, a, a supportive family at the time I said we can make this work uh my mom said that she would watch the kids while I was away at training Mm -hmm. and I thought that would that would work out fine and I I thought everything was going to be good
0: how did you start to I mean I I'm talking from experience in the sense of I have a two two and a half year old and um how did you Uh develop a routine and did the girls just sort of find their way through that
1: Well, at the very beginning, you know, like when I was in training, I didn't know what was going on at home. I just, you know, hoped that everything was going well and they were with my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Um, But then once I went to my first duty station, which was Fort Riley, um, I had a very supportive uh, command structure. The the people in the office that that worked, I was a mechanic, by the way, Mm -hmm. and the people that worked in the office had children and they Introduced me to the childcare, which was right across the street from our motor pool. Uh, they got me. They introduced me to somebody that rented uh, housing. I mean, it it all fell in place because it was like a cohesive unit with the other family members in my unit. Can you talk a bit about that? I because felt like I, I had a new family.
0: Yeah, you do. You gain such an enormous family when you enter the military, and not always the yeah. best family. You know, my family isn't perfect, but you know certainly. Whenever you enter this new group filled with people from all different walks of life, uh, you're gonna experience you know you're gonna experience that of good and bad. Um, and and that's part of Absolutely. what the book is is it's very unflinching uh, about the truths of what both you and Gene went through in your service. Um, but you felt at the beginning, you felt that you were supported by your command structure.
1: I did. I did. Uh, my first. My first duty station was very supportive.
0: And um, to lead me through sort of like your service. So you you got trained, and you know you you spent a long time in. So there was there was obviously good things happening that you wanted to stay in.
1: So after only fifteen months of active duty, uh, right. my now my ex husband mm-hmm. took me back to court and said, no, I, I don't like this arrangement anymore. And I had to get out of active duty. And at that point, uh, because I was a single parent, and now the military knew I was a single parent, they said, well, then you're done. <laughs> I said, Ugh. so I, I was done for a while. But then I found out later that I could reenlist in the Air Force Reserves uh, as a single parent. As long as I had uh, my parents to sign a document saying that they would be re- they would be responsible if I got uh, mobilized deployed. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I instead of the army, I went into the Air Force Reserves.
2: And again, I think they were very supportive of my mother's um, yeah. career and family. Uh, we went with her when she, you know, went on some overseas missions. And uh, had a nanny while she would go, you know, while she was away at work. We had a nanny, and so we had a very enriching environment. Um, We learned a lot about the history and culture of the area we were in, and um, and you know, like even like the food and the music, and it was quite a wonderful time for us. And I don't think we really hit any snags in terms of support and everything until my mom transferred over to the Illinois Army National Guard. Because, um, you know, like there's a culture, like a work environment culture, and you have that in the civilian world and also in the military world. And so the Army, when she enlisted, very supportive, very nurturing, they want to see her succeed, the Air Air Force Reserve, very similar situation, um, very focused on family. Um, and, and everyone, you know, felt that, and then, but when, when, when she went over to the Illinois National Guard, it was a very different culture and different environment.
0: And I, I do want to get to the, the Air National Guard as well. Um, but let's talk first, uh, about being a woman entering at that time. What was it like, uh, for you as a woman, you know?
1: after this sort of
0: integration?
1: Uh, back in 77, it was it was uh, an entirely different, an entirely different army than it is now, trust me. Uh, we were almost like second-class citizens. Um, I mean, I could tell you. <laughs> My drill sergeant, for instance, who was assigned to our platoon of women, we were the first platoon at Fort Jackson of women to be integrated with the army and our drill sergeant was he was made fun of because he was a drill sergeant of the women Hmm. and um, we had to just prove ourselves over and over again that we were equal well not equal but we were we were up to the task capable capable yes and uh, one specific instance i don't know if this was in the book so maybe i'm giving it away but maybe i'm not but that's okay one specific instance was at the end of training at the end of basic training uh it was like a a decathlon more or less we had a and we didn't know it was going to be a decathlon we thought it was just going to be a hard run with field gear so we're in south carolina and we're running with field gear i think it was a two mile run And at the end of the run um, let me back up a little bit there were three platoons two two of men one of the women the two of the men platoons they were able to take off first because the women you know they got to be at the back because what are they gonna do they're gonna be crawling in right and then the women's platoon took off well myself and a, a friend of mine who I made friends with during basic uh, we said you know what we're gonna just show these guys that we can do this and we took off like bats at you know what and we just ran our hearts out and we beat everybody in the second platoon and we came in about halfway through with the first platoon so we were just smoking them right we get to the end of the of the uh, run and my drill sergeant he told me this afterwards he said you don't know how proud you made me because all these other guys were just harassing me and saying, you know, where are your pansies? You know, where, where are the, where are the uh, women? And he says, I think that's two of my pansies beating the pants off of your guys right there, coming in. <laughs> <laughs> but then at the end of the run, it turned out that we had to dig a foxhole and carry sandbags and crawl under barbed wire. I mean, we were already spent physically yeah. But we had to keep going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was a rough day, but it was good.
0: Was there, point- it was, di- was there a
1: point? It was a different. It was a different atmosphere. They did not support us uh, in basic training.
0: Gene, uh, I want to ask you this same question when when we get to your story. But uh, Lita, was there a point where maybe the first time someone told you, "No, you can't do that. You're a woman."
1: Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And how did you
0: respond to that?
1: I said, <laughs> "I said, I'm sorry." the first day I walked into my active duty um, office uh, over at Fort Riley we had a, a motor pool I walked into the motor pool talked to the uh, warrant officer behind the desk and he said welcome private McNamara here's your typewriter over here you could have a seat and and we'll get you get you used to things I said I'm sorry sir but that's not my job I, I was I was trained to be a 63 hotel I'm a Tank mechanic," he said. "You're, yeah, I know, but here you're going to be a, a a typist, a clerk." I said, "No, no, sir. I I I'm trained to be a mechanic," mm-hmm. and he said, "Give that girl a toolbox," and I went out on the bay and I was I was a mechanic, but at the at the very beginning he didn't think I would do it, and I I proved him wrong. All
0: right. All right. right. Uh, <laughs> Gene, what do you remember of these early years of your of your mom, you know, starting out and, and going through all of these trials and, and you know, really, you got to be pretty focused in the military, you can't just you can't lax on it. So I'm sure there were uh, difficult times as she was, you know, learning the ropes in the military.
2: Sure. Um, I just remember when she was away at training, um, she did make a concerted effort to send us letters and um, things like Plato. And that kind of thing. So, um, you know, she did it, try it. To... Wasn't, it
1: wasn't Play-Doh. It was it was uh, it was modeling clay that oh, you yeah. could
2: use okay. for that you could use for uh,
1: uh, when you're doing a brief.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh right! If you right. they didn't have Play-Doh. For, <laughs> right. Okay. Well, oh, we so it was like
0: military grade Play-Doh in a way. Yes.
2: Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> um, for making like a sand table. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, and um, then when she was uh, stationed at Fort Riley. We, it was a lot of early, early, early mornings. And then we would go to daycare. And daycare was amazing because we had people with us, um, other children from other, you know, families. And they were from all over the country and all over the world. And, you know, they had had all these adventures and tra- they had traveled all over. And so it was a very um, unique and fun environment to be in. Um, but yeah, I just remember waking up very, very, very early. Yeah, 4 a.m. wake-ups were not good for the kids. <laughs> no, but we were able to take a nap at daycare, and that was great.
0: We've talked with a lot of military brats uh, mm-hmm. on the scuttlebutt and at VBC uh, in general. Um, is there is there parts that, other than the early mornings, were there things that you didn't like about that lifestyle?
2: Um, <clears throat> You know what? I I guess the only difficult thing was um, switching schools. Mm -hmm. You know, having to switch schools. um, You know, your your education is segmented, and perhaps you're not getting you know um, everything that you would hope to get from your education. But Mm -hmm. so that was a difficult thing to deal with. But my mom decided that she would simply augment our education, and um, you know, she would you know she got us a nanny and she had us write our um, special reports for her and, you know, try to make sure that our... She makes it sound like I'm doing... <laughs> she makes it sound like they're doing my work. Well, no, no, no. I mean, we, we had to write reports about where we were at the time, right. um, mm-hmm. the history, um, you know, so she did try to incorporate um, our experience into our education and try to improve it there. And then we also had, you know, like the first... Um, Texas Instrument computer and things of that nature and she would get us educational games so she was really trying to um, normalize things Um, but you know what I think having my sister there with me going through all of the same experiences um, made it easier you know if it was a new school and we were having a hard time we could always talk with one another about that Yeah, that made it easier and then also um, having My mom has a huge network of people that she knows. Um, She's very memorable and um, I think, you know, she makes uh, lifelong friends. So for example, when she was stationed in Maryland, we ended up staying with one of her friends from childhood. And so we had um, that support as well. So it always felt like, you know, we were with family, even if it was um, extended family or, or... or, or, Friends from, yeah, from the past.
1: Yeah, we've always said that if you're friends for more than 20 years, you're
2: family. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was that was wonderful as well.
0: And that's what we've sort of learned from our military brats uh, that we've talked with, is that though these there are these difficulties, you get so much more life experience very early on. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And the opportunity to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say because it was a new thing to have women... In the regular army, we there were a lot of jokes, um, and you know when like my not mom would show jokes. up in uniform to like pick. Not good jokes. No, not good jokes. And when we were in a civilian school, and my mom would show up to pick us up in uniform, um, you know there were a lot of comments and questions about that as well. But uh, because she was our mom, and, and you know we just thought that was normal to have a mom in the army who was a tank mechanic you know, like isn't everyone's model tank mechanic? Um, but then we would find out, you know, no, not quite, but I think it was beneficial as well because this was a time when there weren't really all that many women as mechanics in general. And it was, I thought it was very cool when she would be working on her own vehicle and walk into an auto parts store and they would kind of all snicker behind the counter and then she would tell them exactly what she needed and why. And, and they would definitely gain respect for her and her knowledge and that was um, that was always fun to see
0: there was obviously something about that early about early, life, early, uh, that early that life that stuck with you uh, stuck with so why did you decide oh, yeah. to enlist when it came time
2: my mom raised us to believe that you need to um, serve others to have a full a full and fulfilling life so no matter what you did um, you know if say you weren't able to do that in your day-to-day job and your off time you needed to do that and she um, ensured that we did lots of volunteer work when we were younger Mm -hmm. Um, you know like we would volunteer at uh, nursing homes and we would volunteer to to deliver meals on wheels and we would go with her for all of these activities so i think it was natural that i wanted to help people and um, i also wanted to pursue and you know pursue med an, a career in medicine, and I thought, you know, the military is kind of the best of all worlds. I can gain education and experience as a medic before before going into, um, you know, going on to earn my degree, and it was um, a wonderful way to see if I liked a profession because it's hard to get in, you know, jump in to any medical. Um, medical career without training, um, so the military was able to provide me with training and I was also able you know, to see if that was something that I enjoyed doing before I committed to eight years of education.
0: Lita, of, of all of the experience that you had gained in the military up to that point of Gene enlisting, was there anything, uh, any tips, pointers, advice that you offered to her when she came to you and said, I want to enlist?
1: And you gotta run. <laughs> you got to know how to run. Uh, that, that's one thing that my dad did tell me um, before I even went in. He said, you got to know how to run. And I said, okay and I, we were never runners in our family. nobody in our family ran. So we, we took it slow. we started out you know a block and then we added another block and eventually we, we became runners and because I think if you're in good shape when you when you join, it gives you a heads up on everybody else, because you're not fighting physically, as well as mentally, in the training.
0: Mm. That's a great point. Um, part of like the, what you talk about uh, in terms of the book is sort of secrets of the modern military. So growing up on the base, um, you know the, the sort of dynamics that you're watching of the other families, things like that, uh, what did you experience with the other people, this family that you were growing?
1: well they were uh, like I said they were very supportive it's a it's a huge network and everybody knows everybody and you know you need uh, you need a car here this guy knows somebody that sells used cars you need a you need housing this guy has housing because as a a single parent I was not living on base with my compadres you know I was living off base in a trailer park so I rented a trailer uh, and everybody used our trailer for weekends for barbecues. You know, my, my crew that I worked with full-time at the base would come over and we'd be working on the car and having a barbecue and this was the party house, you know. So it, it turned out to be a, a good extended family.
0: Gene, was there anybody that sort of sticks out to you as other than your mother, obviously, somebody that you looked up to um, that as this, uh, you guys built this this big network and this family. Is there someone that sort of stood out to you as as sort of a separate uh, uh, someone that you looked up to, role model?
2: Well, I would say um, there were a number of role models. Um, one was my mom's first commander. What neat? He wasn't a commander. He oh. was just a, he was
1: just a reservist that happened to own. A- uh trailers and my office manager knew him okay through the base right
2: but yeah um so he was one of the first people that my sister and i um got to know as far as you know other military personnel beyond our mother and that was uh, nate foster right and he was um just like an all-around good guy um you know he was smart he was funny he was a bodybuilder so he liked to carry us around as though we were dumbbells um and, it, and, and then, he had two he had two boys yeah and it was just and then as she went on i know when she was in um her officer basic course you know um because she was the the, the one with the kids and the family and as you know established again our house became the the house where everyone would come to dinner because um, a lot of the. Newly minted officers didn't have families yet or established families, and they would come over and they would teach us their family recipes. So, we learned how to make things like kimchi, and we learned, you know, just about, um, you know, because I think a lot about uh, family is shared over the dinner table, and it was a wonderful um, opportunity to meet people from different areas and different cultures and backgrounds, and that they wanted to um, contribute to our family through food, and everything was. Truly wonderful, and we became like the um, unofficial mascots of my mom's uh, <laughs> my mom's company, and that was truly wonderful as well. It was just um, I, I would say when you're the active duty side because you're working together, you're living together, you're eating together, it does have more of that family feel to it, and it's it, it it's I think all of our experiences were fairly wonderful mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. that regard
1: I agree on the
0: flip side of that coin, Lita, what what do you on think the was, the was the most challenging aspect of of aspect those early years and and your time in the military,
1: and, and
2: in the military. Mm. Hm. I thought it was a breeze
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't think I there are it.
2: a couple stories in, in the book about mm-hmm. um about incidents like the time that she accidentally cut off someone's oh, fingers well, but we won't go into that you'll have to read the but book that about Oh that's yeah. a that's a,
0: yeah that's a good yeah you hooked me there now it's what, what happened you <laughs> yeah. have to yeah. read the book for that
2: oh, story yeah. Oh, we had a work yeah. Or, you know, like the time she was assigned to cut all of the base grass with a pair of scissors. Oh, that
1: was a challenge. Okay, so what was the challenge? Here's the challenge.
2: <laughs> learning, <laughs> learning my place
1: in the echelon. <laughs> uh, but, I, 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 okay, I'm going to give away a little bit. I happen to have been good friends at home with a friend of a, con- a congressman. And when I ran into a problem at basic training, basic, wait no AIT, AIT. at AIT. Mm-hmm. So you're you're a nobody at AIT, right? I was a E E two I think at that point. You're a nobody at AIT. I got off the bus uh, one day at the towards the end of our cycle, and my what do they call him? Platoon sergeant, I guess. Keep on the drill sergeant at that. My platoon sergeant was a black man. And he ripped the stripes off of his shirt and threw them on the ground in front of me at the foot of the base of the stairs. And he said, okay, McNamara, you got my rank, now what do you want? And I'm like, whoa, what? I didn't realize that when you talk to somebody that knows a congressman, things happen. I had wanted to switch uh, orders with a Friend of mine, bunk mate, and she was supposed to be stationed in Fort Carson, Colorado. I was supposed to be stationed at no wait, Rivers, vice versa. Yep. I was supposed to be stationed at Fort Carson, Colorado. She was supposed to be stationed at Fort Riley, Kansas. And she had actually had a a fiance that was at in Colorado so she said hey we're both mechanics we're both the same age we're both female let's just switch orders so we went to the first sergeant no you can't do that when you get to your duty station if you want to make a switch you do a switch so I I made a phone call home to my friend and I was complaining and I didn't know that this was gonna happen I was just you know crying in my beer more or less he cried in his beer with his friend, the congressman. The next day, the congressman flew to the base and changed our orders. Oh. I cut grass the rest of the time that I was there with scissors. I learned that oh you gotta stay in your echelon. You gotta, you don't go over your head on... Uh, yeah, you gotta stay, <laughs> stay in your lane. Interesting.
2: And unfortunately, I had a similar situation where I called my little sister to talk about the situation, and of course she went and told my mother, who then turned around and told, you know, and it was another situation, situation, but mine ended up with a naked man in a footlocker, so a little different. <laughs> Wait a, a second,
0: yours ended with a naked man in a footlocker?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah that sounds like you just
0: told me that's... a part of the beginning of the joke and the butt of the joke.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's in the book.
0: Oh, man, Um, yeah, certainly another story to to get to. And, I, you know, um, Jean, I want to dive a little bit back into your service. So you you enlisted, um, you know, what was it, you saw your mom sort of, in a way, breaking, you know, a glass ceiling. Uh, Mm -hmm. What was it like to sort of follow in those footsteps and uh, and pick up where she left off in a way?
2: Um, Well, I did learn that you don't want anyone to know that your parents are both officers if you're enlisted that can be um, problematic. But uh, it was was nice to actually, she went with me um, when I enlisted and she was in the same battalion. (laughs) So she had company command right down the hall from where I had enlisted and where my company was. So um, it was a little challenging because you know, but luckily ma'am and mom kind of sound alike mm-hmm. so yeah when you're saying you know good morning mom it you can kind of pass but um yeah i think it was she said a great example of what you can do and how you can um utilize the education that the military provides for you in in the civilian world as well so um i enlisted as a medic and then and i um you know, I worked in, a, you know, a doctor's office and um, tried to see, like, what I thought about a uh, career in medicine, and it turned out it wasn't quite for me. Mm-hmm. But without that experience, um, I don't think I would have realized it as quickly. I'm, I'm way too empathetic, and you can't keep apologizing, you know, as you're um, scrubbing someone's burned hand, Um, You can't keep saying, oh, I'm so sorry, it hurts. Um, You have to just move past that and uh, yeah, so I I did learn quickly that I'm too empathetic from a career in medicine, but it was a wonderful education. Just the learning how to do things as a team, um, learning about leadership and how to uh, delegate and all of those things. My mom set a great example and I hope that I followed that example and did her proud.
0: Of course mm-hmm. uh so Jean, you i want to pose to you the same question is mm-hmm. when was the first time someone told you no it's a very different military whenever you joined but did that still did you experience some of the same
2: uh i walked into an office to give them my orders and tell them i was attached to their unit and they said oh as a medic as a medic yes and they said oh great your typewriter is right over there <laughs> and i said i don't type i've never typed Um, I had, you know, a a TI computer, so I was a little bit past the age of typing. And I said, you know, like, if you want, I can, you know, I can peck in um, at that typewriter or I can go save that gentleman's life because it looks like he's in cardiac distress. (laughs) So they said, oh, oh, okay, go do that. Um, Thank you very much. But it was odd because I was walking in with, um, I was uh, assisting a field artillery in it. Which is unusual to have a female attached to at that time, to a field artillery unit, even as medic. But they never said to my the person that was going to be working in the ambulance with me, "Oh, there's your typewriter." And um, he he never faced that same situation. But it was a very awkward um, attachment when I was attached to that unit because they weren't. It was as though they didn't have mothers or sisters or cousins or grandmothers. It was as though they had never seen a woman before. Um, And I'm pretty sure they, you know, at some point had seen a woman before, but I I tried to be professional, except for that one um, incident with the (laughs) naked man. Um, And I tried to do my job. And I just focused on doing the job. And um, when they would, you know, when men would giggle and things of that nature, I would just, you know, keep doing the job
0: let's talk a bit you uh retired after an injury how serious was the injury and what did how did it occur
2: i was on active duty and i was um perhaps foolhardy that i wanted i I wanted to always do everything to excel to exceed you know exceed the expectations so when i found out that the german armed forces had this thing called the Uh, German efficiency badge and that it was something I could earn through my, you know, physical prowess. I thought, well, I'm, you know, number two in my class um, in terms of education. And I think I'm going to go ahead and try to do this as well with the German armed forces. And uh, one of the events, they had the wrong equipment set up. So my brain herniated into my skull
1: this part of her brain went down into the spinal the cerebellum yes.
2: and my spinal column the odontoid process so the top two pieces of bone that are kind of fused went into my brain so it kind of you know it smushed like a spring but unfortunately it wasn't very springy um, and my left shoulder blade was torn off and um, it turns out my left ankle was kind of Destroyed as well, but that was um, not like the first concern. The first concern was um, putting me in traction and keeping everything going. So, um, this could have very
0: easily either killed you or paralyzed you. Yes.
2: Yes. Um, They actually said at at that time, um, I mean, this was a long time ago, uh, not quite April of 2000. Yes, not quite cart and buggy time, but uh, it did feel like a long time ago. And I did um pilates every morning on my own and yoga every day on my own um in addition to before the injury yes so in addition to um you know pt with my unit i did pilates i did yoga i went to the gym and i was running so i was in very very good physical condition and the pilates i think really helped to strengthen my neck so um and they kind of did Indicate that if it hadn't been for that um, and for how, you know, my condition, physical condition at that time, that I, things could have looked very different.
0: So let me get this straight. You were in some sort of, uh, you were doing some sort of training, like physical training.
2: I, yes, yes. Um, with
0: with an object, like a sandbag or something?
2: No, I, I did like a decathlon kind of thing with the German armed forces that they do. Um, it, it, It's similar to what my mom was describing about her... End of cycle, and a cycle um, training, but you have to run um, with all of your equipment, your your weapon, you know, your rucksacks and everything. You have to um, fire a weapon and, and you know do well with the weapon. You have to swim, you have to sprint, you have to. Um, so you're doing all of these activities, and one of them was a high jump, and instead of the big cushy mat that would absorb the impact. And the energy and, and everything from that jump, there were tumbling mats piled oh. to that height. And tumbling mats have no give. Mm-hmm. So, so... Like she hit a brick wall. Right. So instead, my body gave.
0: <sighs>
2: yeah. So
1: that one jump
2: ended her career.
0: And thankfully, did didn't like, end your life.
2: Like, yes. Right. And actually, I jumped twice. Oh. <laughs> because the first time I touched the bar with my foot, so I went ahead and did it again. And the second time I didn't wake up right afterward. or I, I, I was yeah. unconscious for yeah, a little they had to bit take her there. Yeah, to the hospital. Yeah.
0: How long was your recovery? Was
2: your recovery? Uh, let's oh. see, we're in 2022. Still <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is still ongoing. Um, at first, I didn't know how how bad the injury was. They said, "Oh, you probably just strained your neck," and um, we didn't even talk about my shoulder or my ankle. So um, I was like, "Okay." And they said, "You know, you're going to do physical therapy, and you're going to be fine." And I was like, "All right, great. You know, let's let's do this." And then um, they realized it was more serious because I was having difficulty swallowing, breathing, um, breathing. passing out. I was I I. I I was passing out multiple times throughout the day. If I stood up, I would black out. If I tried to go on the stairs, I would black out. Um, and my left arm wasn't functioning, wasn't working. And um, they kind of just said, well, you know what? You're not working hard enough at physical therapy. Oh, my God. And I would go to physical therapy. Oh, oh, yeah. So I would go to physical therapy, and I would be just have tears running my, down my face as I pushed it even harder. And then I would come home and I would do the exercises and, you know, keep going, keep going. And finally, um, a doctor at Great Lakes Naval Base, um, said, you know what? I, cause I was telling her about my nephew saying, saying, um, Asta la vista, baby, which was in a movie <laughs> at the time. And I said, and they thought it was so funny cause my muscles on one side don't do anything. And she said, wait, you know, do that right now. And then she said, "Okay, we're gonna send you for a brain MRI."
0: Hold oh, on, sorry. Let me let me interrupt real quick. Was this the first mm-hmm. female doctor that you saw?
2: No, I would, well, doctor. Yes, I was seeing a female. I I, I didn't see actually. And the at uh, Fort Knox, I didn't see a doctor. I they would I would actually have to fly to Fort Knox for exams, and I would see a physician's assistant. Uh, let so me ask another a,
0: question. Mm-hmm. Did you feel as a woman that you, because you had to push so hard already, already in your career, that because they said, well, you're not pushing hard enough in physical therapy, did you feel like you had to go that extra mile through these oh, injuries?
2: Sure. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. On. And I was always um, second. You know, there was always, um, there was, I mean, not that there's anything against it, but there was always a man who was first and I was second. Mm-hmm. And um, I did feel like, you know, I wanted to be first. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to push, I wanted to succeed and I wanted to prove myself. And um, it's just unfortunate that they didn't send me to see a neurologist or a neurosurgeon. They were sending me to see an orthopedic um, physician's assistant.
0: How long did you deal with this pain until somebody said, wait a second, there's something more serious going on.
2: Four years. Yeah. Four, right. years? four years. Yes. And it, by this time I had, um, muscle atrophy, muscle atrophy. And that's actually when they realized it was something bigger because the side of her face
1: had yeah. started to, uh, lose muscle, the neck. Right. None of muscle. my,
2: none of the muscles on the one side of my neck were working. Left side My, my arm, my fingers, my hand, everything was atrophying. Um, and they did the MRI, and then the doctor looked at me, and she goes, okay, just drive home very carefully. Yeah,
1: that's what they said, drive home carefully, because, because you're, you you could die if you had an accident right now.
2: Yeah. And then her, the her
1: brain, her brain stem was being pinched in half at that point.
2: And they said, um, and that was why I was having trouble. It's all of the things that you don't have control over. So, you know, like your heart rate, your blood pressure, your... Um, your breathing at night, um, your digestion. So my intestines, you know, they don't work. Um, your, you know, your other bodily functions. You know, your bladder. Um, I, all those things weren't working, and it was just very hard um, to hear. You know, I had been pushing myself all this time, and no matter what I had done, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't have made a difference. And um, unfortunately, it wasn't the first time that it happened, but or that was the first time. I take it back. That was the first time that that, that had happened. Um, so they scheduled me to go to right pat and see a neurosurgeon, and we talk about that in the book. And it ends. Up, I did end up getting um, two brain surgeries and um, some work in my neck, and now I have. Um, i'm a little bit like frankenstein's monster where i have a lot of nuts and bolts and things going on in my neck and every time they do an x-ray for dental they're like oh <laughs> what, what is this <laughs> so i like to add a little bit of excitement to their days um but yeah it was a hard road and then the same thing with my shoulder um yeah they didn't realize that her shoulder blade had actually detached right so completely I had to, I, from all the muscles. Yeah. So um, they kept saying, you know, there's this gap in the back where there should be muscle. And obviously you're not pushing it hard enough because there's no muscle there. And again, I would go and I'd be in tears there, I'd be in tears at home. I was at this point quite depressed um, because I had gone through, you know, brain surgery and, uh, you know, they said, you know, you might get function back. You might spend been so long that you might never get function back and um so that was that was tough and then i went my mom said you know what i found this guy my mom i guess my mom has been an amazing advocate you know when they say um you know there's nothing more we can do she's like oh yes oh yes you're just not the person to provide that and we'll find somebody that can so she found someone who said look took one look and said, well, you know, nothing's attached. That's why there's a gap. There's nothing bridging that gap. It, you can work out from now until forever, and that won't change because you can't physically reattach those muscles. We have to go in and literally drill into your shoulder blade and stitch those muscles on um, because that's the only way to reattach them. So that was hard to hear as well, um, that I had gone through two more years of physical therapy or, um, and pain, intense pain and frustration and disappointment in myself for nothing. Because, um, and then to turn around and tell the doctor at the VA, you know, hey, you know, did you know, like, I understand you're an orthopedist, but I guess you work more on the shoulder joint. But when it comes to the shoulder blade, you know, like you might want to read um, what this doctor said. And he said, no, thank you. So um, all of that was quite difficult. And then at the same time, um, you'll read more in the book about how my mother and I um, experienced basically the same thing, well, not the same thing, but how uh, women's healthcare in the VA at that time that my mom needed it and that I first went to the VA was um, rudimentary at best. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sequestered to the basement. Um, and It was very uncomfortable um, being there. It was awkward that they assigned me to um, the obstetrician obstetrician and gynecologist for my neuro care. And in that regard, the VA has really transformed um, the women's health clinic now at Heinz VA um, is a light, bright, airy place where you feel comfortable. Um, they've taken steps to make sure that when you're in the waiting room, you're not being ogled by every single person that walks by. It's, um, been a really remarkable, amazing and much needed transformation. And Mm -hmm. that was truly wonderful to see.
0: Wow. Jean, I'm so sorry that you went through and you're still working through this.
1: Yeah, well, yes. Well, it, it speaks to you your reading... strength,
0: just your your physical, your personal, your soul strength to be able to like push through all of this. It's it, in, inspiring in some ways and and scary, but boy, you have so much strength. You
2: have so much strength. Well, I would definitely say I couldn't have done it without my family. Hmm. Um, you know, my mother, my um. My great aunt, my sister, my nephews—my nephews who have been there basically through all of this—they've um, all been truly amazing, and I can never express how grateful I am.
0: And you really hit the nail on the head there in the sense of uh, family. Just and and that's—I yes. I, want to loop this back to the book again because. Um, something that really caught me is just looking at the cover of the book, there's this, you know, I, I see my, mm-hmm. my wife with my daughter and, you know, there's always those just like the shining moments that you remember of them smiling at each other or holding each other or just, you know, whenever you hug your kid, there's just nothing like that. And there's this really beautiful mm-hmm. picture of the both of you on the cover of your book. Did, I'm, I'm assuming that during your recovery, the idea of this book kind of came out? and that you chose to have highlight Lita's career, your career and, and struggles and just and just give an, a, an account of, of what this relationship is, not only between both of you in the military, but between each other.
2: Yeah, we were, we always um, would kind of have the same exact story to tell when someone <laughs> would ask us, you know, like what was was there a time when you faced um, sexism or, or, you know, like what was it like when you first went to get healthcare as the VA? And we would kind of have the same story. And we were kind of, we were, not kind of, we were utterly amazed.
1: That it hadn't changed in all those years.
2: Yes. I mean, now
1: it's changed. Yes. But, I, but during that period, it, it hadn't. You
2: know, between 1977 and 1993, you know, there were obviously some astonishing changes, but there were a lot of things that were the same. And somebody said, boy, you know, you two should write a book because it is fascinating to know how much things remained the same and how much things had had changed. And also um, my my mother has so many unique stories.
0: Oh, I'm sure so we every... just brushed the surface on in the oh, last hour, There's, a, yes. and you're gonna get a lot if you pick up the book, my audience pick up the book, you know, you're gonna get many more of these stories, much more in detail. Uh, it's a wonderful, oh, wonderful yeah. book, um, Thank and, you. And, and not just Lita stories, you're, you're getting almost a two-parter in one book, you're getting Jean stories mm-hmm. as well.
2: Yes, and then at the end, we felt it only right to show, you know, to come together because our experiences then overlapped my mom had to retire in order to take care of me Um, i needed full-time care and so we were you know then at that point we were going through the the exact same experiences but from two sides you know of the same of the same uh, coin because she would be out there trying to find you know care for me and trying to be supportive and at the same time you know this is her daughter and you know, she had to see me go through all of that, and was empathetic to what I was going through. But at the same time, had to be very strong, and um, that was, you know, hard. I think on both of us. I'm it sure continues, continues to be a challenge to this day.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the strength that you have, the resolve you have to keep pushing, and and to and for your health and uh, for your family, uh, and the strength that you pull from them. Uh, Lita, it also speaks to your strength, not only as you know a person, but as a parent and a mother. To to say, okay, I'm going to put all this aside and and take care of Gene. Um, you know, when I first started this the, the episode, the interview with you both, I wasn't anticipating uh, this this seeing this sort of love that uh, that I kind of knew was there. Mm-hmm. But boy, does it uh, become so much more apparent in talking with both of you about, about your story.
2: Thank you. And I, I think if, if anyone out there can, there's something truly remarkable about, and I'm going to say this in an odd way, but like meeting your parents as an adult, about mm-hmm. learning about them as people. Because, you know, as you're, as you're growing up, you idolize them, you know, they can do no wrong. And um They're also at the same point making all of the rules and you don't have a lot to contribute. But as an adult, um, it's a different uh, dynamic and one that you have to transition through because a lot of times, you know, you go back home and you spend time with your parents and you revert to your childhood um, interactions, you know, the way that you interacted with your parents as a child but if you can get past that and interact with your parents as an adult and learn about them as people and reflect back, like, I always think like, oh my gosh, when my mom was my age, you know, she was in the hospital hearing that I had coded during surgery. And um, as, you know, the surgeon was bawling his eyes out, telling her, you know, that um, I I had bled out and that I coded instead of starting with, everything's okay now. Um, and I, it's like, gosh, could, how would I, I, I don't know if I could handle that. Um, so it, it's been a unique experience, um, from that perspective as well.
0: I'm not usually speechless, but I feel speechless in a way. It's, um, it's an incredible story, uh, that I, that I hope uh, people will pick up the book and and dive into. There's a lot to learn from this, and, and it's not and, and something that you said about transitioning from a child to like a peer with your parent. You're mm-hmm. still their child, right. but you're you know you're tr- you're learning about them as people. But I feel like, uh, you know, as a as now a parent, and yeah, my daughter's only two and a half. But I feel like there is going to be a transition, Lita. You could speak to this of seeing your child as an adult, and suddenly you're not the rule maker, and you have to right. accept where they've come and who exactly. they are and, and the they beliefs did. they have.
1: Absolutely, and um, and support every decision that they make, because they are their own human being, and you're so proud that they've come so far, and they've done everything that you were hoping that they could do, and here they are, <laughs> taking over the world by storm.
0: I, I want every parent to sit down with you, Lita. <laughs> <laughs> Please, I'm gonna bring everybody and everybody can just uh, you know, sit at the altar and listen to, to your stories. Um, uh, I know we've, we've reached our, our time here together, um, but uh, I, I wanna uh, ask you as sort of a final question, what do you hope people uh, get from your book?
1: Well, we're proud that we've been able to document our journey for future generations and we hope that they will learn from our struggles how to overcome their own.
0: Gene,
2: I, I will definitely second that. And I will hope also that they'll learn, um, you know, that every, things may look very dark and dreary sometimes. Um, but there is another day and the you have to come out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll burst in now. Um, mm-hmm. no, but that it, it is life. It's ever-changing and every day is going to be different and today, you know, you might be overwhelmed with pain and, you know, all of life's complications, but tomorrow things will hopefully be a little bit easier and it seems like, um, in the world, you know, lately things are pretty challenging, but you have to keep pushing through and also you have to, I think our book shows that, um, supporting one another can be, um, both, you know therapeutic it can be beneficial for all parties and the more we can do for one another I think the better mm. so um if you can you know if you see somebody out there struggling if you can help them you know please do and um yeah notice that it'll be tomorrow will be different today might feel overwhelming but you know just hold on until tomorrow
0: well sun's got to come up tomorrow so yes. sort of my always motto it's, okay. sun's coming up tomorrow no matter what yeah, right. yep. <laughs> you know uh,
2: at four a.m. It will be.
1: Here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Lita and Jean, uh, so much for uh, sharing this with us. I feel like, uh, boy, I got to know you both uh, so well throughout this conversation, and uh, I, I'm just, Jean, I'm pulling for your recovery. I, I hope thank that you. it continues to go well, Lita. Um, thank you for being there. Just being there. It's just, yes. uh, you. you know, I feel like uh, that's that's something that that needs to be said. Just a thank, thank, you, you. thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you to our audience for listening uh, today. If you uh, have any comments, you can email me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N at org. You can also like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube. So you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. Um, and I just, again, I wanna thank you both uh, for coming on to the Scuttlebutt and to our audience. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And as a quick postscript, uh, Lita and Jean, you're both hosts of a podcast. It's called Podcast DX.
2: Yes. Um, again, our desire to help others um, ended up with uh, something amazing, and uh, when we were in North Carolina for six months um, for my health care, my cousin was in Illinois dying from liver failure, and we found out that where we were located at Duke University Hospital, they did twice as many liver transplants as anywhere else in the world, and they said, well, you know, your cousin should fly in down here and we can see what we can do for her. Um, she ended up getting a liver. Um, and we ended up learning how much we didn't know <laughs> about the health care of someone needing a transplant. And my mom said, you know, if it wasn't for the people that lived next door, were living next door at the time, who had a transplant about two weeks before her, telling us all the tips, tricks, hints, and advice that we needed to get through, um, it would have been very challenging. And, and, she said,
1: and she might not have survived. Right. So we wanted to share those stories with the world so that other people can learn.
2: How to get through whatever
1: it is medically. Right. So that pa- going
2: patients join us every week and tell us um, about their medical di- condition, how they came to their, you know, how their di- their condition was diagnosed, and what has been the most helpful for them. What their family and friends did that they found to be helpful. Um, you know, just all the little things that you won't learn in the doctor's office, but that can be extremely beneficial. And that's
1: what Gene and I do
2: now. Yes.
0: Incredible. Um, well, thank you. And I hope our audience looks you up. Where can they find Podcast uh, DX? Podcast DX.
2: Everywhere. Everywhere that podcasts are. Yes. We're also on TikTok, uh, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, it's sti- Just podcast and then DX
1: stands for diagnosis. So mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. the word podcast and then Delta X ray. We're on
2: our website, podcastdx.com.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank, thank you both you again. And thank, thank you. Thank, thank you. And uh, you guys have a wonderful day, and hopefully we'll see you again on another episode of the Scuttlebutt.
2: Sounds great. Thanks.
0: Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank both of our sponsors, the first being DND Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. They began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s, but they've grown into a full-service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. D&D accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction, and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any type of job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D. That's D&D Auto Salvage. Uh, thank you so much to d and uh, They've been a sponsor for quite some time, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, the second being Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and to getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health, so they want people to quit, and they have classes and nicotine replacement therapy and a popular quit line, which is the easiest number to remember ever. 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. Finally, Tobacco Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all of what Tobacco Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org or you can watch our recent episode with Tobacco Free Adagio Health on the Scuttlebutt uh, where they talk about a lot of the programs that they offer for those who are looking to quit. Thank you to both of our sponsors for their continued support of the Scuttlebutt podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks.